What is up, everyone? This is Alex Lieberman, co-founder and CEO of Morning Brew. Welcome back to Founders Journal, my personal audio diary, where I give you, the business builder, the tools you need to think better in order to build better, whether that's building a business, a team, or a new product. A few episodes ago, I introduced you to a new way of thinking about strategy, and I encourage you to take a listen to that episode. But in short, I shared this new definition of the word that says a builder's strategy is their game plan for maintaining power, and power is sustained profitability over the long term. Remember, none of us build businesses in a silo. If you're building something exciting that has hopefully a ton of upside, you are likely to attract competition. And what power is about is it's about maintaining profit in the face of competition, which is not easy at all. And according to Hamilton Helmer, there are seven strategies for businesses to maintain power. Today, I'm going to walk you through the first strategy. Let's hop into it. Economies of scale. If you have ever taken a microeconomics course, you have heard this phrase, and it probably sends a shiver down your spine. Because, at least from my experience, much of the discussion around economies of scale or scale economies sits in the clouds of economic theory and isn't grounded in real-world examples or relatability to your business. That's going to change now. First, a quick refresher. Scale economies is the first defensible business strategy that any builder should be aware of. Very simply, It refers to declining unit costs with increased business size. I promise I'll give you a few examples in a second. There are several ways in which a business can achieve scale economies, the most obvious being spreading a single large fixed cost around an increasing number of customers. So a few quick examples. Let's take an example of a video game company. Video game company spends a bunch of money up front to produce a game and the cost per game is distributed as more consumers join to play. Here's a real example. I literally, you know, 20 minutes ago, went to the app store on my phone and went to the top paid apps. Number 17 on the store is this episodic game called Pocket God. Pocket God, I'm sure took a solid investment to develop. I don't know what the number was, but there are 47 episodes to the game and it was released in 2009. The beauty of scale economies is that most of the cost of this game was front-loaded into development, and as the game has existed on the App Store for the last 12 years, the cost per customer has gone way down with every additional download. According to the founder, the game has been purchased by 8 million customers. So for easy numbers, if the game originally took let's say $800,000 to develop, on day one, the cost per customer was $800,000. And today, with 8 million customers, it is 10 cents. This similar dynamic exists in the world of software, which is why SaaS companies are so attractive to investors. Super high fixed costs, and if you can achieve scale, your unit costs go down and you've created a significant barrier to entry for new companies because now you're competing on total customers. You'd have to imagine that scale economies has created an incredible moat for companies like 
Salesforce, Oracle, SAP, and Adobe. And so now what I want to do is walk you through probably the most relatable example of scale economies that will help solidify this concept and also have you thinking about what this means for you as a business builder. And that example is Netflix. Netflix went from a company that had very little defensibility as a business to being one of the most well-protected companies on planet Earth. And it's because of their understanding of the power created by scale economies and the opportunity before them to establish that power. So let's take you back in time. It was 2003 and Netflix was already well underway in disrupting the video industry that Blockbuster had dominated for so long. The company had just reached its 1 millionth subscriber, had successfully broken Blockbuster's business model, which had them questioning whether they were going to charge late fees anymore because that's how Blockbuster made millions of their dollars. And actually, Netflix offered Blockbuster to buy them for $50 million, which Blockbuster declined. And while things were looking great for Netflix, the company, rightfully so, was worried about a developing industry that would ultimately put Blockbuster and itself out of business, and that was digital streaming. The issue with streaming was that it completely changed entertainment and got rid of Netflix's competitive advantage in the mail order business, which was having high costs, and those high costs were a barrier to entry. With decreasing tech and server costs in streaming, theoretically anyone could start a streaming business. And so Netflix couldn't rely on their old mail order business or simply an undifferentiated streaming business to maintain power. It was in 2011 where things really started to click. And what clicked was the opportunity to leverage scale economies to put Netflix into an incredible position of power in the world of content and entertainment. To do so, Netflix switched from buying streaming rights to creating originals themselves. It sounds like a really small change, but it unlocked everything for Netflix. When Netflix first started in streaming, they were buying the rights to films from networks like Stars. The issue with that strategy is Netflix was paying per each view for this content, which provided them no advantage to having more and more subscribers relative to their competition. And so if you think about it, as subscribers increased, that means views increased, and based on the old business model that Netflix had, it meant cost of content increased because that's how they had to pay their networks. In 2012, this all changed when Netflix announced their investment in originals with the launch of House of Cards. And beyond House of Cards just being a fantastic show, 8.7 on IMDb, winning two Golden Globes, this move into original turned content from a variable to a fixed cost that could be spread across millions of subscribers, which now is more than 200 million. And now by making the switch, Netflix competed on total paying subscribers because while anyone could enter streaming, it may not be financially viable for any new streamer to launch original content if they can't spread that huge cost across hundreds of millions of subscribers. And so you may be wondering, why has this been such a good creator of power for Netflix? And it's because of the difficult position that any competitor or non-power holder is put into. Put yourself in the shoes of a Netflix competitor. 
If you're a competitor and you want to take market share from them, what are you going to do? At the end of the day, the only thing you really can do is compete on price. And so what you end up trying to do is you go out to the market and you offer better value to customers by making your prices lower than Netflix. But if you do this, Netflix would see it, they would match your price cuts, and they wouldn't worry about it because they have lower cost per subscriber than you do. So you would never be able to lower your costs more than them without hurting your own business. And so then once you come to see that this is how Netflix behaves as the market leader, you'll start to expect price retaliation from Netflix and incorporate it into your financial models. All of a sudden, although entering streaming from a technology perspective is easy, the prospect of entering the space becomes less profitable and therefore less exciting to you as a competitor. And that is the power that is created by scale economies in a nutshell. The benefit for the power holder is having reduced costs spread across more customers. And the barrier to entry that's created for the power holder is that it is unprofitable for competitors that try to gain market share by making their prices lower. And proof is in the pudding. Today, Netflix is the 36th largest company in the world with a $225 billion market cap. They have more than 200 million customers and over 12,000 employees. Poor Blockbuster, which didn't see the writing on the wall and the opportunity in scale economies before it, officially seized operations in 2010. The company has one store remaining in Bend, Oregon, after hitting a peak of 84,000 employees and $5.9 billion in revenue in 2004. Okay, let's take a pause for a second. So what can you take from the contrasting stories of Netflix and Blockbuster, even if you don't have a company of their size, but you still want to think about the leverage created by scale economies? Well, the answer is it's all a matter of perspective. Are you, as a builder, the company in power, or are you competing with the company in power? If you're competing with the company in power, I think a big question becomes, as you scale your business, how do you avoid plateauing on the amount of market share or customers you can take from the person in power? So let's just use an example. Let's say you're a niche delivery business where your market is delivering delicate medical supplies. As your business is growing and you have greater ambition beyond medical supplies and you want to compete in general delivery services, how do you differentiate yourself? If it's on price, unfortunately, you're just not going to win. UPS or FedEx is able to spread high fixed costs of warehouses and vehicles across millions of customers and higher density of customers in a specific area of delivery. Therefore, if you try to beat them on price, they'll pull the move out of Netflix's playbook and simply lower their prices to the point at which you no longer make enough money for it to make sense competing with them. You'd have to find another way to add value to consumers beyond price. Now, if you're a company that's looking to establish power, this strategy of scale economies should be a concept that's etched into your brain so you can look out for it when the opportunity presents itself. Remember, Netflix didn't have power forever. It had its mail order business that was doing well and disrupting Blockbuster, but it saw where the puck was going in digital streaming. 
It knew that competitors would enter the space easily, and it was not positioned well to differentiate itself. It took the approach of obsoleting itself before being obsoleted by others, and it saw the opportunity of using original content as the key to building an incredibly strong moat using economies of scale. Maybe your company's future strategy should leverage scale economies, and maybe it shouldn't. But if nothing else, this lesson should create urgency for you to go through the exercise of understanding what your company's moat is and how that moat strengthens or weakens as you scale and your ambitions continue to grow. If you have any questions or thoughts about scale economies, shoot me an email at foundersjournal at morningbrew.com with your thoughts. I'll make sure to get back to you. And as always, thanks for listening to the episode. If you want to show support for the podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts for Founders Journal. It is the number one way to grow downloads. Thanks so much in advance, and I'll catch you next episode. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.